With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. The conversation continues with Rick Munn and Natalie Cheel on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Okay, let's go. It is Thursday, the 18th of January, 2024. This is TNT, today's News Talk. This is the Open Line Show. We're coming at you live, beaming out of the Gold Coast in Australia. But there's people listening in from all over the world. And whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whatever you're doing, I hope it's nice. You're extremely welcome to join us here on the good ship TNT as we navigate through the turbulent waters of life for at least the next uh, 56 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm going to be joined by Natalie Chill and, of course, um, Emma. No. Hang on a minute. Gemma, we're talking about names just before the show started here, so I'm a little bit thrown off. Gemma Cooper, of course, and Lewis Brack, Brackpool. Yes, not Blackpool. Brackpool will be joining us also. And Callum Smiles, again, beaming in from Davos in Switzerland this morning. So we're all over the shop. Uh, Natalie, I don't know about you, but the north wind hath blown and we have had snow here in my little neck of the woods. Infrastructure. Everything is ground to a halt. The government has effectively told us to stay at home. They're not gritting the roads. Uh, ambulances are on strike. Doctors are on strike. Councils are on strike. Let me just give you an overview. Uh, Stormont's Department, Department for Infrastructure, which is our alleged government's Department for Infrastructure, basically telling people to do nothing today and go nowhere essential. Check this out. There are only four roads in the entire of Northern Ireland that have been partially gridded. And we're at minus four, freezing impacted snow and ice on our roads. It is treacherous out there. They said pedestrians should also exercise extreme care. NIPSA confirms its strike is going ahead with General Secretary Patrick Mulholland saying tomorrow, today's strike will only be the start of disruption. The continued disregard for our members' concerns leaves us with no option but to escalate our actions. And the ambulance service says it will have a reduced service due to strikes and presumably will also be slower to respond because the council haven't bothered to grit the roads in the freezing impacted ice. This is a big step up for uh, not putting cardboard in the right bins, isn't it? This is ridiculous. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's just it's not appropriate. If you want to do this level of strike that I don't agree with anyway, by the way, do it in the summer. I mean, what if you've got a, a lady who's going to labour, right? What she 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 the roads aren't gritted, and you're you know they can't an ambulance can't get to where a midwife can't get to where, and then she has Correct. a crash on the way to the hospital at nine mm -hmm. months pregnant. You know, are the trade mm -hmm. union's going to take responsibility for that, Rick. You know, it's not. The ambulance, really ambulances are on strike terrible. as well. The ambulances that's that, that's are on what I'm saying. On top of this, so basically, what people have been told is, unless you pretty much stop breathing, have a stroke or a heart attack, just don't phone us. And if you do phone us, be prepared for the ambulance, maybe not to get to your house because the council aren't outgrading the roads. This is happening today, today where I am now. I'm looking out, and everything is absolutely frozen, and the place is dead because everybody's it's, stuck in the house. Basically, it's really, really irresponsible. And how do you know the trade unions get to decide? essentially today who lives and who dies so they're saying you know only call an ambulance in extreme situations well when i had that tension headache um i had to call 999 i yet yeah, they took about two hours but by the time i got there and i've been told i was lucky to be alive because i had a bleed in my eye from my high 
blood pressure at the time. Um, had I not gone in, I probably would have had a stroke and died. So they're basically saying any situations like mine, let the people die at home because you can only call in if you're actually having a heart attack. We're not even going to assess you. And God forbid, if you need to go into labor or you need to actually use a road, there could be various car crashes as well. Uh, and I hope if anything happens, the trade unions will have to take responsibility for that. I think it's terrible, Rick. Well, at the minute, the blame game is obviously being played. So you have the trade unions blaming uh, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Chris Heaton-Harris. Uh, Unite uh, Union says Heaton-Harris must release public sector funds or face further escalation of strikes. Regional Secretary Susan Fitzgerald says the behaviour of the Secretary of State to date has been nothing short of contemptuous to public sector workers and our vital services. The same public sector workers that are shown contempt to sick people, pregnant people, people that need to use the roads, maybe involved in road traffic accidents today because they actually do uh, need to do essential travel. You know, where does this stop? Where does the buck stop? We don't even have a sitting government over here at the minute. This country is an absolute disgrace and a shambles. It's quite an embarrassment, to be honest with you. And today, literally, people could die because of all of this uh, but mismanagement. I, I was under the impression that if you had strike action, it couldn't affect the actual lives of people. This this one is actually doing that. There are potentially people that are going to die over Northern Ireland mm -hmm. about pay rises. It's not appropriate mm -hmm. for me, I'm afraid. Whether you want to blame the government or the trade unions, everybody's at fault here. Um, and I just you know, hope and pray that there aren't many people affected badly by it, Rick. Well, if you're listening in and you're from uh, the north of Ireland, feel free to leave your messages, thoughts and opinions in the live chat on tntradio.live or this is open line. You can give us a call. Last 20 minutes of the show will be free. Natalie and I will be talking uh, between ourselves. You can give us a call and tell us what you think. Is this beyond contempt? Are the government showing us real contempt here by literally risking lives over this business? Is it Heaton Harris's fault? Is it the union's fault? Is it the striker's fault? Is it anybody's fault? What can we do about this? So that's the state of play right now in the winter wonderland that is known as Northern Ireland. So uh, we're going to take a brief pause. Gemma's incoming here. Don't go away. This is TNT, today's news talk. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. Vilifying MAGO if it's not going to work. Today's news talk radio, TNT. You know, we love a bit of nature in the TNT. We love a bit of nature in the Open Line program. We love beautiful things. We love to see the snow on the ground. We love to see the frost glistening on the pavements in the morning. But it's not so good, is it, Gemma, if you have to drive your car in those conditions or, heaven forbid, you get sick or you need to make an essential journey and you go careering all over the road, maybe end up in a ditch somewhere and have to sit there, maybe die of hypothermia while you wait for the ambulance. That is on strike to maybe come and get you. What a hellhole, eh? I think that I think this is a very unfortunate case of timing. Uh, and Natalie, you're talking about who to blame. I definitely would winch this situation right up to the top of the things that we talk about all the time, the global elites, the control system, and the squeeze that it puts on people at the bottom who then turn on each other and start fighting. Um, I used to be, I'll hold my hand up right now, when I was in my previous life at the BBC, I was a union rep. And I, I, I know about strike action and how I'm sure you probably know you guys as well, but you ballot for strike action, you take, you take the vote from your members, and then you give your organization or government notice, and then you decide on the date. So these dates will have been decided a long time ago. And uh, snow in, in our part of the world is not a common occurrence. And, and it is it is the case that when we get snow in the UK or in Ireland, everyone goes, oh, 
you know, we're not geared up for it full stop. We're not, not in this part of the world. We live in a temperate climate. So it's not a natural winter planning event. Um, hence our panic, you know, of roads being gritted at the best of times, let alone when there is a strike. So this strike action would have been planned months in advance um, and, and everybody will have had notice of the dates. Unfortunately, the weather has not played ball and it is a dangerous, life-threatening situation, as you both rightly allude to and you both rightly comment on. Um, but I do believe this comes from the top. I do believe that public sector pay has been squashed. We've been seeing the doctor strikes in the in England, the junior doctor strikes. I mean, £14 an hour for someone whose life, your life is in their hands. I do think they deserve uh, ec extra pay there. I'm, I, I'll hold my hand up. That's my personal opinion. I'm not representing TNT on this. Um, a junior do junior doctors, not senior consultants, I think are treated horribly when they leave medical school and go into the profession. Um, public sector pay has been squeezed. We're all facing a cost of living crisis. I can understand why the unions have balloted for strike action and I can understand why the members have voted yes. Um, it's all because of what's happening on a global level of, of wages being squeezed. No one can afford to live. Everyone is in debt. And we know where this is heading universal basic income. That's where this is heading. So this, Natalie, will be used as, oh, look at the unions uh, lobbying for pay where lives are at risk on the roads. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than the kind of like grassroots level of headlines and scaremongering. And God forbid that does happen, that someone is pregnant, can't get an ambulance and somebody dies because it will be used to manipulate what is actually something coming down from the top to control us on a global level, which is the fact that, you know, wages aren't matching uh, spending and 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 price increases. We talked about the inflation rise in the UK uh, yesterday. It's gone up when it should have gone down. Prices are rising exponentially and wages aren't keeping up. Um, but it's all being engineered. It's all being done to us. And we react by turning on each other, which is what they want. That's what they want. That's my take oh, on it anyway. Yeah. Can I just quickly say, Gemma, that mm. they could have easily this morning after they saw the weather, the trade unions have actually said, look, in, in in terms of uh, emergency situations, it's sensible to postpone this one and they would have had the public's backing. Uh, so in that sense, because they could have done that quite easily, if anything happens, I would say they are directly at fault um, if there is any, you know, like we said, pregnant woman or something like that. Because to me, why, why you can't postpone something when people's lives are at risk? Uh, you know, what we're talking here, pay rises over people dying. That's just my opinion on it anyway. It's a very, no, it's a good uh, very point. It's a good subject. point well made. Yeah, yeah, very emotive yeah. subject, and you know what? Yeah, this could uh, could debate this actually for good or yeah. alone. Uh, however, it was just a little sort of throwaway opening. <laughs> Didn't realize it would go so far, meander so far, but it's all very relevant because it's affecting so many people. But Gemma, uh, we'll have an update on the story that we discussed yesterday about this uh, school uh, where they had uh, the ban and the blanket ban on prayer. There's an update for that one. What's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, we discussed this story at length yesterday because it's a two-day hearing in the High Court, which did end yesterday. The judgment didn't come out yesterday. The judge hasn't delivered a ruling on this, but we discussed it as a, there were a couple of issues that came out of this. One, will it set a precedent for schools everywhere, not just in the UK, but around the world? And two, is it the, the mi microcosm and the macrocosm of tensions between faiths around the world, especially the Muslim faith being amplified in people's lives? So it's the school in North London, uh, the Michaela Community School, which is a free school. School. They banned Muslim prayer um, after and, and received a huge backlash for that, um, accused of Islamophobia. They were threatened with violence. They had to call the police in. And, and a student, one Muslim student, took it to the High Court. So we heard evidence from the student on Tuesday. Yesterday, the head teacher gave 
evidence and she's now issued a statement which we didn't have time to um well by the, when we were on air yesterday talking about this story uh, we didn't have her words so she says she's come out uh Catherine Burble Singh and she says that she introduced the prayer brand against this backdrop of violence and intimidation um and segregation between pupils at the school and segregation between pupils and teachers Muslim Muslim students which make up half of the school which has 700 pupils um there was becoming a lot of segregation and harassment between students and also teachers uh, so tensions have been running high it wasn't just the prayer ban a one muslim girl uh, had to drop out of the school choir saying she was told it was forbidden to sing uh, and other muslims were coming to school telling the teachers they were, were they were telling them that other people were telling them they were bad for not praying. Now, who was telling them they were bad for not praying? Who was telling this Muslim girl to drop out of the school choir? It wasn't people within the school. They were coming into the school saying, oh, we've been told this and we've been told that. And uh, so this, the head teacher, she clamped down on all of it and she stuck by her position. And she said, multiculturalism can only succeed when every group makes sacrifices for the whole. Um, and she says, this is a, a, a one school with one culture. And she cites other religions, which we did touch on yesterday. She said, we've had Jehovah's Witnesses who have pupils at the school objecting to Shakespeare's Macbeth as a GCSE. We've had Christians uh, who have pupils at the school objecting to revision on a Sunday. And we've had Hindus who have pupils at the school objecting to eggs uh, on dinner plates because they have they have strict rules around their culture about eggs and, and food. So she was like, look, it does, I'm not going to pander to one particular group. Um, it's my school. I founded it. It's a free school. I will run it this way. And she has the backing of the school governors. But we did talk yesterday, Natalie, and you made a very good point about if the ruling goes in the pupils favor will this set a precedent for for muslim prayer and prayer rooms in schools across the land if even free schools which are separate from state control and will this spread out globally um because precedents are precedents tensions are running high in the middle east with regard to faith they're running high in school classrooms with regard to faith so it'll be interesting to see where this goes the hearing is concluded now uh, the judge hasn't made a ruling and when the judge does make a ruling i think we'll be talking about this again because as you rightly say will this set the tone um for, for schooling in the future and also who was telling these muslim students to come into school and say i'm bad for not praying i need to drop out of the choir it's bad to sing you know who's behind all of this inf inflammatory comments because normally kids they don't care about that sort of stuff they just want to go to school and see their mates and hang out you know what uh i don't know this is uh, still ongoing this is probably something else because we're out of time now we've got to take a break uh we've got lewis coming on here but maybe uh, we can touch on this again tomorrow because i'm sure there's a ton of stuff natalie wanted to pitch in based on what you've just said and me too uh, because there's other items in that article talking about in that school in particular why they can't have a prayer room which is something that we suggested yesterday i didn't realize that they were looking at that uh, possibility but they said because of the size of the the school and no kids can go around unsupervised they can't have a prayer room so it opens up a whole lot of other discussion points but we've got to pause it uh right there just as we're getting uh ready to <laughs> jump yeah. into this one deep and proper but maybe uh we can pick that one up sharpish uh tomorrow morning to round the week off if there's any more developments on it uh but thanks again for keeping that one in the spotlight uh, Gemma. we'll talk again in the next star nat and i will be back after this short break with lewis brackpool so please don't go away stay here for more live magic on tnt today's news talk tnt's timothy shea the race is essentially now vivek ramaswamy and nikki haley ron disappoints this will be pulling his hat from the ring next and the issue as always is why 
is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. I'm just going to do a little voice. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me, and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Well, I want to say this, and I'm going to say it just once. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, the pace is uh, relentless here this morning, which is good. It's good. It's keeping everyone on their toes. We're dancing the media dance, the alternate media dance, of course, not the mainstream one. Happy to welcome back again uh, Mr. Lewis Brackpool. If you don't already uh, follow him on the X platform, please do so at Lewis underscore Brackpool. He's an independent journalist. He talks about politics. He talks about culture and agendas. And he slipped a little Bible verse on his X bio, Joshua 1 and 9, <laughs> talking about being strong strong and taking courage what a what a word in season that is we need to be strong and take courage at this time because the world is going to hell on a handcart is it not absolutely i completely agree it's uh yeah it's great to be back thank you so much for having me back on Ah, uh, you're welcome. Listen, we've got to talk. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we've got to talk about this little rat, rat called Sadiq Khan. Uh, he's uh, just bad news, in my opinion. I'm not a Londoner. Uh, mate, I'm not a Londoner. I'm not a Londoner. He's a geezer. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Sadiq Khan even bugs me, and he doesn't even control my finances. It's bad enough with the ULEs. It's bad enough that knife crime is going through the roof in London. Uh, but also, uh, there's uh, aspersions being cast here, allegations, and uh, you know. Uh, whispers behind the the closed doors about his expenses now what's he been up to with the old expenses right well um the city hall tories so take that with a pinch of salt but it has been of course um backed up with um 
data and of course uh, just evidence to show the receipts of this uh, have released a brand new report on how Sadiq Khan has been wasting taxpayers money shock horror and I actually have a list here of uh, around 12 uh, examples of how he has misplaced all his priorities and of course wasting uh, public money um it says here in four years Sadiq Khan splurged 29.5 million pounds on more bureaucracy uh, in Boris Johnson's final budget for 2016 to 2017 City's Hall's staffing costs were 36 million and now in Sadiq's budget of 2020 to 2021 it soared up to 65.5 million uh, so an 82 percent increase in staffing costs um he the bill for the for the mayor's press office has now increased by 33 percent so increasing the amount he spent on his staff um 10 million pounds was spent to determine the color of the metropolitan police officers personalities where more than 10,000 met police officers were sent on a training course to make sure they felt quote <laughs> empowered um which I don't quite understand there, if I'm totally honest. Um, on top of that, Sadiq Khan forked out £462,000 on a beach party in 2018 in the Royal Docks. Um, where <laughs> I, I just can't, I couldn't believe it because he spent another uh, amount of money. I believe it was an extra £300,000. So he's, he's close to nearly a million pounds on beach parties alone. But this time, this other beach party, it had a bigger pool. Uh, so, of course, the expenses had to had to increase there. Um, on top of this, £30,000 was spent on a bicycle ballet to explore female liberation. Not quite sure what that means, if I'm totally honest. But anyways, that's all taxpayers' money he's spending it on. And I'm not sure if I can say this uh, too explicitly, but he Man. spent... Yeah, I'll say it. Uh, the mayor forked out £70,000 for a drag act called, and I quote, Ducky Loves Fanny. Um, and, you know, being a journalist, <laughs> I had to double check whether that was actually true. And unfortunately, yes, it is. There is such a drag act called that. Um, and I had to delete my history straight after, obviously. But um, it just goes to show that Sadiq Khan has been wasteful with it, with Londoners money the taxpayers money I'm unsure on why this guy keeps getting votes each year and I, I know this is quite almost crass to ask but I want to know what the Muslim community as well thinks about his spending um, because I'm not sure if they would 100% agree with Sadiq Khan spending that amount of money on things such as drag acts, drag acts and bicycle um Female ballet dances or anything things, like that yeah. natalie uh you know we're no fans of sadiq here but it seems to be every day every week that goes by there's new depths to which he sinks and more shenanigans and skullduggery let's take one thing here just in particular uh lewis said about uh 10 million quid was spent on the metropolitan police to determine the color of their personalities I don't have a problem with Sadiq Khan spending 10 million quid 
on the Metropolitan Police per se, if, for example, it was in a fitness program uh, to get yes. them fit, because we've seen them yeah. waddling around London or tr running after cars and bicycles and out of puff and beetroot-faced about to have a heart attack. So expenditure, for example, in the police is no bad thing, especially with knife crime the way it is at the minute. But how the hell yeah. can he justify spending 10 million quid on <laughs> determining, quote, the colour of Met officers' personalities, <laughs> unquote? How can he get away with that, Natalie? Uh, he I don't seems know. Be, I was going to say, he seems to be the spokesperson for kind of diversity, um, inclusion yeah. and equality, doesn't he, in the country? And like you said, uh, in terms of the, the Muslim uh, background in, in, in uh, London, I'm not mm. sure they're, uh, they're even going to be uh, following him and, and many of the ideas after that. It's insulting. He's asking for so much money from the Londoners in terms of ULES and then actually not spending it accurately. Um, I think his popularity is going down and down, isn't it, Lewis? I completely agree. Completely agree. And, you know, it kind of makes sense now why he introduced ULES because he can now tax all that back and he can yeah. reap uh, what he's been sowing for the past few years. So kind of makes sense there. Uh, to expand on the Met Police, um, they were sent on a training course, uh, obviously, like I said, to make sure they feel empowered. And that was five days of expensive workshops and coaching also included tests to determine just the colour. Um, so, yeah, it, this is the thing. We're seeing more and more from Sadiq Khan in terms of, I want to say cronyism. I want to say just a complete waste in terms of um, using or taking liberties from Londoners and beyond. And I just want to ask a, a nice simple question about, about Sadiq Khan. What has he actually achieved since he was elected for London mayor? Has he brought knife crime down? Has he helped in terms of the community? And I think the answer is no. Uh, knife crime has gone up. Burglaries have gone up. And we're not seeing any benefit from, from this man at the helm. Uh, one last thing, uh, because we're just about, we've got to go to the news headlines here. I'm not going to read out. Uh, there was another million quid given, okay, and it's in this article here on cityhallconservatives.com, but um, half a million quid was given to a lingerie company, right? Uh, uh, London taxpayers' money. And another half a million pound, and I'm not going to say exactly what this was for, uh, was given to a moisturizer <laughs> oh, company. Oh, yes. For yes. part of the female anatomy, I kid you not. Half a million to a moisturizer <laughs> company for a certain part of the female anatomy and half a million pounds to a lingerie company. Come on, tell me, tell me that this will not be, be a sackable offence, really. Uh, listen, you would think so. You would think so. But uh, he's keeping a lot of women happy uh, in a lot of ways, <laughs> is our city uh, at London taxpayers expense but anyway we've got a we've got a call time read this article folks it's on cityhallconservatives.com sadiq uh khan's uh wasted millions it will literally uh bring tears to your eyes and uh yeah make you go all in different parts of your body but anyway uh lewis uh massive thanks to you uh, for joining us here this morning and uh shedding some light on this uh tragically comic uh, article on Sadiq Khan and his expenses. So we're going to take a quick break. We've got some news coming up here. And then Natalie and I will be back afterwards uh, with more magic here on Open Line TNT, today's news talk. Question. Huh? What are you guys doing today? The news. Now, TNT Radio News. Sounds good. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. 
The US has carried out a fresh wave of airstrikes against Houthi sites in Yemen, just hours after designating the Iranian-backed group a terrorist organisation. The CEO of JP Morgan Chase has slammed Democrats for demonising Trump supporters, saying it's time they grew up and actually listened to their concerns. And it's been revealed the US Centers for Disease Control pushed experimental COVID jabs onto the public, despite knowing the shots were damaging the heart. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Okay, a little uh, online jiggery-pokery going on here. We're trying to connect with uh, our friend Callum Smiles. He's over in Davos at the minute. He's going to give us another report. On this Thursday, uh, he's over in Switzerland at the minute. We're just trying to connect with him at the minute. Uh, We were supposed to have him on from half past until 22. So Nat and I are going to have a little chat and bring him on after the next break. So in the meantime, we like to leave a section open for people to call in. This is the open line show after all. So between now and around about 22, if you have anything that you want to say to us, lift the phone, give us a call. The numbers are on our website, which is tntradio.live. Or, of course, you can leave us a message in our live chat, and we will do our level best to have a little glance at that and see what you lovely folks have been saying. Uh, But unfortunately, because of uh, the way things are at the minute, it's difficult to detach from this online bit that we're doing and go into the live chat. But we do check in regularly and periodically. So many, many thanks for all your comments and, of course, your ongoing support there. Natalie, uh, talking about London, talking about scandals, shenanigans and skullduggery, there's another article that was published this week about councils in crisis. We've talked about Birmingham, we've talked about Leicester, we've talked about London money being spaffed up the wall. Northern Ireland is in an absolutely shambolic state. Councils in crisis, town hall, debt levels are staggering right across the board. MPs warn mounting debt over multiple local councils. This could be uh, catastrophic in 2024 if the, if this is the beginning. Imagine what it's going yeah. to be like in three to six I, months. I mean, we, we predicted this already, didn't we, when we started seeing like councils like Birmingham struggling. It says, uh, this is an article from the BBC as well. BBC analysis shows UK councils owe a combined £97.8 billion to lenders. And that is the equivalent of around £1,400 per person. Uh, and the worst one is Woking and their debt figure... Uh, goes up to £19,000 per person, the highest in the country. They were one of the councils that did this investment scheme uh, in order to claw back some money. It's gone horribly wrong. They now owe a ridiculous amount of money. There is now new legislation in place not allowing the councils to kind of invest in these for companies, uh, which they did so badly wrong. But essentially, the council were happy to gamble with our money, weren't they, Rick? Uh, Which Mm -hmm. is wrong on every single level uh, and now they're going to try and put a stop to it but the damage has already been done unfortunately it has and uh, some of these uh, debt levels are eye-watering and the figure that you quoted there as well uh, on average if these councils owe 1400 pounds per person just to put that into perspective because i like trying to visualize these levels of debt you know uh, the a number on a page doesn't mean a lot to me but if you go out today natalie into reading or i go out in and around my neck of the woods if it's safe to do so because it's freezing and none of the roads or <laughs> footpaths have been gridded walk and like there's no penguin. ambulances in case it take a walk like a penguin yeah uh, if i go out today say into the town center every single person i see 
every single person I see represents nearly one and a half thousand pound of debt that my local council is indebted to. That is a frightening, frightening figure. And this is right across the globe here in the UK. Or yeah, and I mean, board when UK. we've spoken about this before, I've kind of predicted uh, whether they're uh, almost allowing this to happen and whether they're not happy with the current format of local councils, whether eventually they're going to try to make it, we talk about one world governments, but kind of like a one country council, almost they're trying to make them look incompetent and there'll be a new system uh, which, which encompasses a whole country. I, I do wonder how it's going to work out because uh, if the economy takes a dive, which we know uh, we've had financial experts on saying that's looking, that's the way it's going to be. These council are going to struggle even more and it will be nearly everyone going into bankruptcy. So there ha will have to be something to kind of come and save or rescue them, won't there, Rick? Yeah, indeed. And it's, uh, I'm just actually, I'm delving into the live chat here at the moment. So um, uh, people are making comments on the Sadiq Khan story that we just covered with Lewis, which was great. He said, anyone that doesn't see, uh, Mr. Moose says, anyone that doesn't see Sadiq as a shill is completely stupid. Uh, he also, Skippy said he banned the ad of the beach body ready girl and gives money to a lingerie company. So he's very, he's taking the moral high ground in some areas and then he's contributing <laughs> half a million quid to a lingerie company. Doesn't actually say, what for? It just said uh, they gave them half a million quid. Maybe they were supplying underwear to the Metropolitan Police for the men to wear. I don't know. Uh, Jay, uh, just a bloke who asked question says uh, crime in London might be on the rise, but what about the rainbow crossings and the rainbow police cars? Come on, guys, give the man some credit. Yes, a very tongue-in-cheek uh, statement from just a bloke there. Uh, what else have we got here? <laughs> Where is uh, Birmingham uh, hidden in plain sight? Uh, I'm not sure if you're English or not, or that's just to make take, but it's a Birmingham. It's actually Birmingham. It's a no. Yeah. It's in England. It's Birmingham. But yeah, it's in England. It's in the Midlands, says Mr. Moose. Uh, councils will be bankrupt. It says Skippy. Uh, and on and on we go. So yeah, this is already triggering a lot of people because listen. This is a countrywide problem, Natalie. So everyone sitting listening in the UK and Ireland at the minute is probably nodding along, uh, you know, like one of those little dogs you see in the back of the cars, you know, the head goes up and down because they're affected by this. Everybody's yes. affected by it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we're not stupid. Uh, we now, you know, don't just have papers. We have social media. We have the internet. People, you know, uh, can get places like TNT, they're going to hear the other side of the story. There was a time when, you know, people couldn't speak amongst themselves and share this information. We, we know it's out there. We can speak the truth and people find it insulting. You know, they know Sadiq Khan is lying. They know they're spending, he's spending money the way he shouldn't be. I mean, even, you know, the narcissistic uh, lights the, the uh, fireworks that he put on New Year's uh, Eve. It's embarrassing. Uh, it's it, When he's spending all our money and then asking uh, to get a ULES fee as well, but then has his name put in the whole of London, it is really bad. I mean, it's in such bad taste, but then that's what we come to expect from him as well. Yeah, he's just, he scrapes the bottom of the barrel of humanity without a shadow of a doubt and always plums new depths. One last story I want to try and cover off here before we take a break. Uh, this is again another uh, head melter of a story. Post office boss admits money from Horizon victims may have gone to executive pay. Unbelievable. The post office's chief exec admitted it is a possibility. If he admits it's a possibility, I'm reading into this, it happened. Okay, I'm going to call yeah. it allegedly, it happened. Uh, money taken from branch managers could have been part of a 
hefty remuneration package for executives as he appeared before MPs alongside a senior Fujitsu figure. So again, this is just rubbing salt into the wounds. Imagine uh, your partner, your mother, your child bankrupted, imprisoned, lost their house, taken their life, got sick and died because of this. And the money that they were accused of stealing, that some people actually paid back, even though they didn't have to, ended up as hefty bonuses in the fat cat pockets of the chiefs of the post office. What an absolute insult. Uh, this just goes from bad to worse, this debacle. Rick, arguably, though, if that does end up being the case, you've got to say, is it possible that the Horizon uh, computer system was actually put in place for that reason and it wasn't incompetence and somebody set it up to make a glitch so uh, the rich could get richer at the at the top of the pay grade you you wouldn't put it past them would you um, and it was hidden for so long uh, and yeah I, I've got a bit of a different view on this one uh, recently yeah. to have had this TV program it seems to me like a bit of a political play as well because yeah. this has been around for a long time and you know I've spoken to people who have known about this for a while There's there's no way the politicians didn't know about it. They made a TV program. It seems a bit of a PR stunt to me uh, in terms of the Tory party to kind of say, oh, put this on TV. We can come along and pretend we fixed it and we'll look really good to the public then. And we'll look like that we're listening to them and uh, we're doing something about it when, in fact, they knew about this the whole time and they were quite happy for years and years to people to suffer a miscarriage of justice. So, uh, yeah, um, as much as it's great that people will finally hopefully be compensated, uh, I don't uh, believe that the politicians cared at all and they're using it no. for their own uh, benefits. And there was uh, just to supplement that, uh, David Cameron, just call me Dave, David Cameron and Tony Blair were both uh, quoted in the news this week, uh, or they're both uh, alleged that they knew about this in advance, they'd been briefed on it and had a case of selective amnesia. Cameron says, well, I right. can't remember everything I was briefed on. I, I don't remember. Maybe it did happen, but oh. I don't remember it. Amazing. Amazing how they can have selective memory loss when it comes to issues like this, but and everything else, oh, their memories are They remember everything clear. else. Mm. Oh, they remember. Total recall. Total recall, yeah. but uh, we're going to take a little break. As per right now, I'm reliably informed that Callum is connected to us uh, here in uh, TNT from Davos in Switzerland at the WAF Shindig that's currently going on over there. So please stay with us. We'll be right back after the short break and we're going to get an update from him on what's been going on in the last 24 hours in snowy Davos. So please don't go away. Stay tuned to TNT, today's news talk. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14 and I watched her struggle, but MDA helped her get the best treatments and care. And they also help kids like my buddy, Ethan. My name is Ethan and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee, and thought I'll top up with fuel, ordered a coffee. But while I was pumping fuel, I started to get chest pains. 
Then it got worse and worse and worse. So then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit. And Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a widowmaker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. The conversation continues with Rick Munn and Natalie Cheel on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to Open Line. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Kieran O'Callaghan from Athlone. Uh, he's a big TNT fan, and uh, I said I'd give him a shout out. So hi, Kieran. And uh, joining us now live from Davos in Switzerland is Callum Smiles, independent journalist and roving reporter. He's at the WF annual meeting day four today. How are we doing in Davos, Callum? I'm very well, thank you. Um, yeah, I'll just say now, if we lose connection, it's because I'm running after some big elite oligarch who's making decisions that we have zero say on. Uh, I'll try. I'll try bring it with me. But if we lose it, yeah. we lose it. But um, it's all right. Yes, you I'm be, good. How friend? are you? Yeah, we're yeah, good. We're, we're good. We're good here. Um, we need to know the ultimate question: Have they rebuilt any trust yet? You know, day four. What trust has been <laughs> rebuilt? Joy, that's um. I've, uh, I don't know if you heard of a man called Seth Ber uh, Berkeley. He is a he's an epidemiologist in America. Big pusher of vaccines, and the reason we're cut out a minute. I actually tried taking him with him, but um, I went, I went chasing him, and I, I said to him, you know, he wasn't really answered. He answered some questions, but just things like, well, he said he's not controlled by Bill Gates. But I asked him, do you think mandates, vaccine mandates, are a good thing that they work? And, um, and he said no. I said, well, he's in like no, and he's not answering. I said, so is that no? Because you're answering or no because you don't think they work? And he said, so I said, okay, I'll make it simple for you. Do you accept? that vaccines have harmed and killed people. And he just carried on walking. You know, I sign off a lot of the videos saying, you know, really pushing that point. It's a bit like when you're at school and they say, and you're doing an essay and they say, you know, keep referring to the title or the question. These people claim, well, they're saying they're here to rebuild trust. Well, if they want to rebuild trust, it's time to answer the question. Yeah, absolutely. Was that the director, director general of the um, Who that you were talking about uh, there? The, the, no, no, no. That, so that, that was Ted Ross this morning. Yes. No, so, no. Uh, this, was, I... um, this was uh, Seth, Seth Berkeley. He's, he's an American epidemiologist, uh, yeah. but he's yeah. one of the big cheeses here. I I saw you uh, interview the uh, director general of the, or try to at least, and I, I just thought what was worse about that one, he had this kind of smirk, like a grin, almost Jupiter's delight as Jupiter's you were answering delight. questions, you know, like he was enjoying it. Uh, you know, most people at least were trying to walk past and not say anything. He was just grinning like a Cheshire cat, wasn't he? Well, I, do you know what, when I was editing it last night, I stopped it just at a point where... Um, he looks <laughs> so this is the child in me coming out he looked a lot like bill cosby but his yeah. smirk was like looked a lot like bill cosby when he sees you start to get a bit tired <laughs> yeah. um and uh did you manage to see javier malay's um interview uh yeah well not an interview he did I, a big speech didn't he what was yeah, your take yeah, on so that was... yesterday 
do you know what? I, I was I was a little bit concerned when I was like you know I saw that he was coming here because you know I wish you I wish he was British um because oh no I hope he's not I hope he's not coming here because he's one of these um and I was talking to Andrew Lawton from True North and uh, I said well, what do you think and he made a good point actually he um I think since people started coming to Davos and putting these questions to them I think they're almost trying to say no no we don't just invite the people we like we invite everyone everyone can come here and if they want to criticize us so I I'm staying hopeful that he's a true libertarian and dislikes the West just as much as I yeah the, I the, mean, thing, I... the thing the thing with Malay is right you know he's been a very polarizing character I don't know if you can remember Benny Hill uh, he's a famous uh, British slapstick comedian but someone put a picture yeah. of an, uh, a young Benny Hill beside a uh, uh, Javier Malay and they they looked like uh, they could have been separated at birth so he has this wild side to him but you know his policies and you know he's he's saying uh, the sound bites are coming out right but if you dig in a little bit deeper into what he's actually saying uh, you have to ask some questions Callum one thing in particular that was highlighted yesterday was although we had the stage at the WEF of course nobody gets up there you couldn't get in there for example even in their press conference uh, let alone get up on the stage to talk they have to vet people and make sure no one's going to do them any damage when they're there he was advocating for control to be moved away from government but he was advocating for control to go into the hands of partnerships or uh, public private partnerships which could be just as dangerous and just as controlling and damning as the government actually taking part so I think we need to take uh, what Javier Malay says on these uh, world platforms with a little pinch of salt. He didn't get to where he was if he was going to be a threat to uh, the globalists, I don't believe. You know, no, I, I do think you got a good, really good point there. And I I, I echo your thoughts. Uh, I think I'm just, I'm trying to remain a bit hopeful that maybe, yeah. maybe he is uh, one of us. But um, yeah. oh, who's just coming in? Matt, Matt tried to take with me if it's someone big. Um, That's all right. But, uh, Feel free. And, so yeah, so I, I hope I hope he remains. He he also had an interview One uh, of us. with uh, David Cameron yesterday. I don't know if you read about that uh, about the Falklands. So they had a little meeting uh, at Davos. Apparently, did you uh, read about that one? No, I didn't. I, I knew Cameron was here, and I was looking for him. Um, it's, you know, I was I was waiting for him. I wanted to see Malay as well because, well, yeah, I don't know if you would have replied to me in English because his English isn't the best. Um, as, he, as he likes to call it, last Malvinas, not not the uh, the Falklands. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it does. I am cautious. I am cautious. I'm skeptical of everyone who's invited here. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully, win has to good has to win in the end, right? It has to win. Yeah, it it does. But, listen, back, back you know, to you... back to your point about um about you know moving into public partnerships yeah i i kind of get a bit of a feeling there of the whole george orwell's double speak you know i don't know if i mentioned it on your show the day you know when they could talk in america about it was the most secure election it was the most secure they only ever stick with the line most secure they never say fair transparent they just say secure which to me says ah yes you're not lying to me because you secured the result 
Mm-hmm. And the thing is, too, uh, with this business about hope, I, I agree. You can't, you, you know, you have to give some people the benefit of the doubt. But then if they prove you to be wrong or you're proved to be wrong about it, then you have to adjust your stance accordingly, because not everybody is delving into every political figure to the nth degree. Some people might just take people at face value. So we had this last year uh, in or the year before last with Georgia Maloney, in particular in Italy. She uh, came onto the scene and she was ticking all the right boxes. People didn't really know about her background and give her the benefit of the doubt, but very quickly proved herself to be all hot air. She was no better uh, than any of her predecessors. Yeah. And the same yeah. thing, not everybody has dug into the background of, for example, Javier Malay or any of these other politicians, but time all, always tells, uh, Callum, I don't think- you think? Time always tells. Oh, absolutely. And I actually, you know, I, I, I thought time told on her quite quickly although then you do you still see some people talk about that new that new leader in Italy is great I'm like oh well you clearly stopped listening five minutes after she was elected um yes it, it was it was it was it the, it was some uh, famous communist once said something like you know the best way to uh to beat the opposition is to own the opposition it's just smoke and mirrors and also, you know, it, we're we're kind of take, talking about state control. We don't want state control, but he, Malay, in some ways, is saying, "Well, just put the control over to billionaires instead." And I'm not sure that the billionaires will be any better than state control, to be honest. So there has to be some middle ground, I think, uh, uh, and and uh, you know, to actually address the poverty gap rather than just put it all in the hands of billionaires. Because I'm not sure about you. I'm not. I don't know if I'd trust them either. Oh yeah, well, it depends. Really. You know, give me a billion quid and give me the job. I think I'll do. I'll do all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like the three of us, why don't they just give us billions of pounds? We'll be all right, wouldn't we, Rick? <laughs> yeah, we'd be fine. It wouldn't be compromised in the slightest. Uh, there's another uh, article here that you uh, put up on your um, X feed. And by the way, if you haven't already done so, please uh, support Callum if you can. He's got a an X or Twitter page at cs smile or c smiles underscore news, and he also has a web page. Callum Smiles Media.com. He's out there as an independent journalist, and as rightly pointed out, it's not cheap being out there uh, bringing these uh, stories here uh, that we're talking about this morning. So if you can see fit and uh, to give him a little bit of support, if you're paying a TV license, listen, cancel that damn thing and redistribute the money, I would say, towards independent media yes. outlets. There's a there's a worthwhile use of uh, your money. But Callum, one more thing that you have highlighted here, uh, Alphabet, which is a parent company of Google, CFO Ruth Porat, uh, helps to rebuild trust from the public by ignoring all questions uh, from Andrew Lawton uh, from True North Centre and then is heckled by former uh, German YouTuber. Mm. So uh, we have Google people here as well. We have Javier Malay. We have different, uh, you know, doctors there. We have financiers there. It really is a mixed bag of people that they're trying to assemble over at Davos at the minute. They're not focusing on any one particular thing. Firstly, I love hearing my Twitter handle in a buttery northern irish accent and uh, and um well yeah it is a mixed bag a mixed bag of the one percent yeah yeah of the one of the percent not representative yeah, of everybody yeah. else it's only a small bag but there's a lot in it <laughs> yeah no it's um yeah i mean i, I couldn't have said it better myself really you, you summed it up you summed it up in, in a perfect way it's it's a it's a mixed bag of all the most important yet unimportant faces in the world. They made themselves important, but we don't need them. And that's why I've come here this week and I'll probably come here again next this time next year as, you know, not everyone would have woken up. But if one person 
sees this stuff and goes, oh my God, I did, I, I, I thought it was different. I thought these people actually cared about us. And they now start to dig in deep themselves, do a bit of investigative journalism and research themselves and basically just stop outsourcing their, their thinking. Then you know what? Even if I don't make back all the expenses, it was a well worth trip. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a big thank you as well for being there and reporting and, and getting uh, not the mainstream media view because your videos have been really important. Yeah, I need new conspiracies as the old ones all came true. Yeah, thank you very much, Callum. And remember um, uh, to, to follow him and get on his website. Uh, we will see you again tomorrow for day five for the last day. Appreciate all your time and effort. And uh, we've got one more story to cover here uh, at TNT. This is about Rwanda, um, if I can find it somewhere. Uh, the, obviously, the bill. We don't need yes. Rwanda. Just turn the boats <laughs> around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the legislation <laughs> passed its final commons hurdle despite uh, Tory rebellion yesterday. And uh, the, as well as that, we've got Rwanda's president, Paul Kagame. Is that right, Rick? Paul yes. Kagame. And he said he would return the money to the UK if asylum seekers didn't actually get to Rwanda. And as well as that, we found out this week that thousands of illegal immigrants earmarked for Rwanda flights have gone AWOL. Uh, it was in the Telegraph that so only 700 of the original 5,000 people of uh, illegal immigrants have actually all gone missing. So even if they get the Rwanda bill through, they've all gone missing and they can't go there anyway. And and the funniest thing, obviously, is that the uh, Rwanda president saying he's going to give back the £240 million he's already set, got given by the UK. He's not giving that back. There's no <laughs> Whoever, chance in hell... You know, Paul Kagame exactly. is returning that money. Absolutely none. That's there why I thought story. we had to put it here. We had to get it a, out there because it's was just an unconnect, There was an unconnected story uh, I covered about a month ago. The biggest car theft in history, right, was actually committed by North Korea. North Korea ordered about a thousand Volvos from Sweden back in the 1970s, about a thousand cars. And the Swedish government shipped these Volvos over to North Korea. And when the North Korean government got them, they said, we're not going to pay. What are you going to do? You're going to come into North Korea and take them all back to Sweden? So that was actually the biggest car theft in history. It was committed by the North Korean government against the Swedish government. Uh, I think the same thing here. Uh, Paul Kagame, of course, he's not going to say, you're not getting your money back. He said you're going to get it back. But that's like uh, getting blood out of a stone. There's no way in hell the Rwandese government are giving back a quarter of a billion <laughs> Pounds, absolutely no chance at all. Uh, allegedly, read, of course, allegedly and all that jazz. If you read, then read later on, it says the government spokeswoman says the country has no obligation to return any of the funds, but if the UK requests a refund, they will consider it. That was the actual uh, real talk from the spokeswoman, which basically means absolutely not. And uh, don't bother asking for it, I think is uh, what that actually meant well, in real terms. It, it, Gone AWOL. How can these people go AWOL? You know, they've they're they've come into the country, they've been processed, at least they've been given accommodation. I would imagine they were on some kind of benefit somewhere, but now it says the vast majority, the vast majority of illegal immigrants originally identified for removal to Rwanda have gone AWOL. So 700 out of 5,000 earmarked for are, are still so 4,300 people, Nally. 4,300 <laughs> people. Gone they, they're not in contact with them anymore. They're at large. <laughs> I don't know where somewhere. they are in the country. They're probably they could be heading to Reading as we speak. They could Can all you be imagine in that? 
It's a possibility. It could be, is it? You lose track of 4,300 people. But to me, it's an insult that this bill is being passed at the moment. They were uh, voting on it yesterday in Parliament, but nobody was actually coming out and saying, you know, what they should be. Well, where are they then? Why are we even voting on this bill? Because the people who are supposed to be sent there are all missing and we can't keep an eye on them, Rick. It's unbelievable. It's, it's it, 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 yeah, Today, I've done a lot of laughing on today's show. And as we often say, you have to laugh at this because otherwise you cry in the crazy world of 2024. Uh, we've come to an end. Thank you to Lewis Brackpool and to Callum Smiles. Carry on listening for Rick. He's on for Locked and Loaded with more guests next hour. And we will be back tomorrow at 9am here on Open Line. Have a great day. I've been Natalie Chill. Bye-bye.